Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. On this episode of the East Meets West podcast, I am joined by Taylor Chamberlain of Tethered. Some of you may know him as the urban sportsman or the host of the Hang and Hunt podcast, but Taylor is one of the most experienced saddle hunters that I know. So on this episode, we talk about dealing with hangovers the older we get, the Tethered Teach and Train Tour, learning to saddle hunt, transitioning from big woods to urban hunting, and just some stories from hunting in the suburbs. As I said, this episode is brought to you by Onyx, and the Onyx Hunt app is your premier GPS hunting app that turns your phone into a working GPS. The land ownership maps allow you to identify private and public lands to help you find overlooked honey holes to hunt. The possible access layer shows you land that's privately owned, but may be open to public hunting, and I personally use that last one quite a bit. If you want to check out the Onyx Hunt app for yourself, head over to onyxmaps.com and use the coupon code EMW to save 20%. Tethered is a company that is founded on the principles of educating the hunting community on saddle hunting while creating the most innovative, lightweight, safe products for saddle hunting. I'm currently using the Phantom Saddle System with the Predator platform for all of my mobile hunts. To learn more about tethered and saddle hunting, you can head over to tetherednation.com or join us at one of the tethered teach and train tour events that are held, seems like just about all over the country now. You can find all of that at tetherednation.com. Maven is building the highest quality optics at half of the price of their competitors through their direct-to-consumer business model. They want to create the best optics for the job, period. Their products are backed with a lifetime no-fault warranty and an incredible customer experience. I've been using the new RF1 rangefinder, and it is different than anything that I've ever used to this point. The wheel that's on the side allows you to change the brightness and go through the menu easily and on the fly. You can use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order at mavenbuilt.com. And Spartan Forge. Hunters require an accurate forecast of the best hunting days and the best hunting spots to save time on scouting and actually executing the hunts. The Spartan Forge Outfitter utilizes years of military background and machine learning to pull from millions of data points to accurately predict deer movement, including GPS data, 30 years of weather, academic and state research. They are using science rather than someone's opinion to figure out the movement for your specific hunting area. So you can use the coupon code EASTMEETSWEST to save 25% off of the outfitter at SpartanForge.ai. That price will rise as soon as the, the app is released, but if you get in now, you're locked into that price. You're grandfathered in for good. So you can save yourself quite a bit of money if you check it out now, and I can promise you it's about to get a lot better. All right, so on this week's Mountain Buck Story of the Week, or otherwise known as Mountain Buck Monday on social media, this story comes from Ian Hoos. It was the last day of the Pennsylvania rifle season, and it was a rainy one. I didn't expect to see a shooter, but I, I like to just be out there. I got set up on a bend of a ridge in between two laurel thickets where the deer tend to cross often. I'd only been set up for 15 minutes, and I looked up, 
and this beautiful eight point is standing 45 yards away, cautiously looking over the ridge before he crosses. He got about halfway across and I let him have it right behind the shoulder. He ran about 20 yards and piled up. This was the end of a three year buck drought. I was so excited. I ran two miles back to camp in about 15 minutes to tell my grandpa the news. Definitely a day I will remember. And also I learned it always seems to come together when you least expect it. And Ian, that's awesome. Kept that there. Even having that three-year buck drought. You're right. You got to be in the woods for it to happen. And you never know when that moment might come. Beautiful deer and great story, Ian. In other news, uh, some upcoming events got going on here. So the tethered teach and train tour, I was just at the one in Philadelphia, which came up unexpected. So I didn't announce it on the podcast or anything. It was like a last second thing. I was there for a wedding and ended up stopping in. It was such a cool event. It was, I got to meet some of you that listen uh, to the podcast here and planning on being the one in Charleston, West Virginia, this upcoming Saturday, there is a slight chance that I won't be able to make it due to work reasons, but uh, I should know here shortly whether I'm able to, to go to that or not. But even if I'm not, the untamed guys are putting it on. Uh, they're going to put on such a great uh, event. And they give out so much gear, so much saddle hunting stuff. It's free to enter. You get free food. get to learn from those who are making it from the company and others. I mean, it's, it's a really, really cool event. So definitely check that out. And then in a few weeks, I think it's the first weekend in June, I'll be at the Total Archery Challenge in Seven Springs. I'll be hanging out at the Tethered booth. I will not have my own booth this year. Decided to uh, enjoy it, do some shooting, get to talk to everybody instead of running my, you know, running around selling my own stuff there. So going to be doing that in Seven Springs, Pennsylvania, first weekend in June. Then I'll be driving up for the weekend to Boyne, Michigan for the Total Archery Challenge the following weekend there. And I'll be there with uh, the Prime guys and G5. So definitely, if you see me in any of these events, come hang out, talk. Maybe we'll be able to have a beer together or something. But anyways, really looking forward to those. The new Mountain Buck Scouting Video Series episode is dropping tomorrow. So it's coming out this week, finally. The first of the next five episodes is dropping. They'll release every two weeks here um, going forward. Really excited about this. Uh, this additional part of the series here. The first five episodes are already live that I, I released last year. And this is going to be diving a little bit deeper into some of that. So anyways, pretty excited about that. And just want to say thank you to everyone that's been listening to the show and supporting me with buying apparel and any other way. I I really, truly do appreciate it. If you do like it, one way that you can really help out is to head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to it and leave a rating and review. Those help out more than just about anything to be able to help more people be able to see the the podcast, find it, and listen to it. So I I truly do appreciate that. But uh, anyways, let's uh, let's jump into this episode here with Taylor, and hopefully I'll see you at one of these events shortly. Well, I'm here at the Tethered 
teach and train tour just outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I'm with my buddy, the urban bowman, Taylor Chamberlain. What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for coming out, by the way. I mean, you had a heck of an evening last night. You were out of the wedding. <laughs> you made it back over here in one piece. You look really, like, well-rested. I don't know what's going on. You must have had some chicken soup or something. Uh, I, I have a lot of caffeine, which has my anxiety levels pretty high. And uh, the, the hangover is 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 pretty much at a... At a, a top level i i don't you hide it well i i i don't know how because like that's why i brought my bow here and i haven't brought it out for a reason because i know as soon as i draw back it's going to be so bad shaky that i don't even know if i could shoot a target at yeah. 20 yards. and then realize there isn't an arrow knocked and oh that loud noise was the limb yeah <laughs> whoopsie yeah a, a yeah. lot of things could happen you know hangovers at at at, at our age now way different I, I used to hear people talk about hangovers when I was in college, and yeah. I was like, what was, these people yeah. are weak, you know? They're little bitches. Yeah. <laughs> and now, I get a hangover in like three days, I'm on the couch, I got like a pile of Ben and Jerry's empty cartons in front of me, I'm in some weird, obscure Netflix show with subtitles, you know, and I'm like really into it. Yeah. What's the German chick going to do next, you know? <laughs> hangovers are terrible now. The anxiety that comes with a hangover. That's the worst part. I can get through like, so this morning I was, I was when I woke up. Um, my buddy was in the hotel room there with me. I was like, I'm not taking ibuprofen because I want to feel the pain of this headache. So I'd learn from it. Teach myself. Teach myself. Very then, open, then very I, opus day of you. That lasted like 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah. I was like, give me some ibuprofen. Bloody yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, this is just not, not good. But the anxiety part is the part that I can't, like, and then I feel like I'm wasting the whole next day, which I'm being productive. We're here now. Luckily that, you know, at the teach and train tour, but I just feel like just not on my game with anything yeah it's bad <laughs> and then for it, you know you're in better shape than i am but i tend to turn to anything fried greasy or just bad yeah uh during a hangover so it's, it's bad enough because the night of drinking 100 percent chance i'm eating something that's bad for me yeah between the hours of two and four o'clock in the morning <laughs> then the next day we're piling on probably three to four thousand calories worth of something yeah while i'm horizontal on the couch being a derelict parent, so it's just really bad. Hangovers in general are, are, are bad. Yeah, and then yeah, then then so after that, then you have almost like a food hangover for a couple of days because you, you got all this you ate terribly. You ate terribly, yeah. and it, it's just a bad process. Yeah, my Garmin's beeping at me, going like, "Are you working out? What's wrong? Why is your heart rate so high? <laughs> <laughs> your stress yeah. level's high. Would you like to try a breathing course?" <laughs> Yeah. Thanks, watch. No, I'm just being fat on the couch. Leave me alone. Yeah, you yeah. at your watch. <laughs> yeah. Take it off. <laughs> but yeah, so everybody out there that's our age, don't don't drink. It's yeah. Bad. Yeah. How old are you? I'm 35. You're 35. Which You're... is funny because I was at a dinner party with my wife. This was like six months ago now. Somebody asked me how old I was. I said, I'm 31. And my wife looked at me and she said, the hell you are. I was like, what are you talking about, B? Like, of course I'm 31. She's like, bro, you were born in 85. And I'm doing the math in my head, and I'm like, there's no way that math is correct, right? Like, I had not been drinking. I was, I mean, I- Oh, you, so you were actually serious. I was, like, I seriously missed 31. my age by four years. <laughs> and then I was like, well, shit, I just got four years older in the span of like 10 minutes. This is miserable. Yeah. What am I doing with my life? I'm 35 now? Oh my God, it's all happening. It's yeah. all wrong. <laughs> That's crazy. You got a couple years on me yet. I turned 29 in two weeks. Oh, geez. I got a lot of years on you. I got gray hair. Well, I'm getting, I've been getting some, well, I have some white chest hairs and I was on vacation with my girlfriend. She's like, 
back of your head you have a couple white hairs i was like that's that's not possible that's not that's not true i'm like get out what the hell like, this is bullshit <laughs> yeah pretty yeah. soon well, my mustache will turn gray as and... soon as i had uh my daughter i have two daughters yeah but when my first daughter was born i started getting grays in my beard and i'm sure that that is not going to change as she gets older so <laughs> probably <laughs> yeah. not every time she goes on a date i think i told her cats get killed every time she she looks at a boy, so we'll see see how that works killed. out. Yeah. God kills a kitten every time you look at a boy, so good luck with that. Yeah, it's good, <laughs> yeah. If you want to yeah. kill cats, yeah. then yeah. do it. You're you really want. into cats dying, then yeah, go out and date boys like your mom did. That's how you got here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. But I, uh, it was it's funny how we came for this event here because. I wasn't planning on coming to this or anything because it's quite a ways away, about four hours from where I live. But then you'd send out an email and was like, hey, this is going going on. Just to give you a heads up. And I was like, I have a wedding in Philly on Friday, Saturday. I'm all I'm be doing is hung over and driving home. So I might as well stop by. And it was, it was a really cool turnout. Yeah, man. <clears throat> I really appreciate you coming out. Um, these are great events. They're a lot of fun. We have so many people that are getting into saddle hunting or they're curious about it. And as you know, as somebody who's gotten into saddle hunting in the last couple of years, um, saddle hunting is something that you need to like see yourself. You need to so keep moving this microphone around, I'm moving it out of the way to drink my water and uh, keep <laughs> moving it away from my face. But <clears throat> saddle hunting is something you need to experience yourself to be able to, to kind of figure it out. It's not like a tree stand where you just step on a platform and you're there, right? Yep. Um, and I think that's why a lot of your listeners enjoy your content because, like, you were new to saddle hunting a couple years ago. I was. And you've been able to help take people through that journey with you and talk about, you know, what you're learning, what you're doing, how it works. And so that's why these events are so great, you know. Not only do we give away a ton of stuff. And yeah, you were giving away a, a shit ton Give away of the stuff. farm. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> really. Literally, yeah, but, you know, giving away saddles, platforms, everything. But you can get in them. You can, you can play around with them. We can be there literally with you, showing you the literal ropes of how we use it, what we like to do, some tips and tricks, whatever. And it's a cool way to, like, get out with other people from the area. I mean, some people we were talking to drove down from, like, New York, drove up from Maryland. I mean, people are driving three, four hours of yeah. these. But we have tons of them around. So anybody listening, definitely check our, our calendar and they're, they're more stacked towards the back end of the summer. So check them out and, and I'm sure you can get to one you know near you. Yeah. And there, so, uh, th that's, that's exactly what you said about getting to touch them and feel them. And like, I know when I first got my saddle, I got it in the middle of hunting season and didn't, and there's obviously YouTube, which is an amazing tool to teach. And you have a ton of good videos. Greg has a ton of good videos. The tethered YouTube channel has a ton of good videos to teach you, but being able to have someone in person show you, like I was just watching you earlier with the guy talking about the weak side shot and different ways. Like that's a hard thing to explain. And when I first got into my saddle, this is what you don't do is get it the first day and then take it hunting that day. That's in what the I, dark, yeah, climb a tree. Yeah, so I'm trying to like figure it out and I'm like going to my like to the weak side and feel like I was going to fall out of the tree. Yeah. Like, and then once you practice it, like this past year, I can't tell you how many times I climbed trees in my yard and just would shoot out of it. Like at least two times a week, I'd shoot out of my saddle at different positions and set up my target at different spots and, and get to learn it. And it, now it's just like second nature. The things I thought was like, oh, this might be a downfall of it. I just, 
I haven't found found that. And it's not I, I as as we were talking about before we were recording here. I was almost against wanting to try it because I felt like it was just a fad, you know, coming in. I'm like, all right, it's just one of the new things everybody's doing. You, you hang from a freaking little, <laughs> little thing, rope. right? Yeah, you're like, <laughs> you think you're a tree cl- rock climber here? Like what? And then uh, it's it's truly changed the the game for me just from the how light everything is, being able to get in whatever tree. Like it's been been awesome. These events in person like this, getting to talk to everybody is is awesome. Which I'll be at. At least, at least one more, maybe two more of these. Yeah, I think you're going to the one next week in West Virginia. Yeah, and right? then the Total Archery Challenge in PA. I'll yep. be at the tethered booth the whole weekend. So, yep. and I'll be there as well during the whole weekend. So, get so. The, oh shit, hangovers. <laughs> yeah, baby. You want to talk about Sunday scaries? Uh, I can provide that for you. <laughs> I just thought of that. Yeah, that's gonna be good. You know, it's funny. I um, when I was right out of college, I used to do stand-up comedy. And so, um, I would like, I wasn't like a full on stand up comedian. I hosted an open mic night at a, a local comedy club. So you basically like get up there and tell some jokes and then hand the mic over to another guy. Whole reason I did it was because I could drink for free. And that was like a blessing and a curse because you realize how much Jägermeister you can put in your body before it shuts down after like a long period of putting Jägermeister <laughs> in your body. It's pretty scary. So hopefully we can relive some of those moments at the oh, I don't. challenge and then ride up the mountain and watch me roll down it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then try to shoot it up. Yeah. Your well, target. Well, yeah. But you were, you're talking about the uh, weak side shot. That's definitely like the hardest thing to learn in saddle hunting. And that's part of the reason that coming to these is so good is because you were able to walk people through how we get to do it and how we like to do it. And, you know, perfect example, like you mentioned, is that guy we were talking to earlier who, you know, he was not doing the technique correctly at first and we're able to show him how to do it and be there literally giving hands-on instruction. And what I told him is what I tell a lot of people. And that's, you know, when you get the saddle, don't just shoot in the perfect ideal spot, right? Like that's easy. Make it as hard as possible. Wrap yourself around the tree, put, one toe on it, try to do like a purette, whatever you think, because if you can master the hardest shot, then everything's easy, right? But if you're afraid to step out of the box and try it at ground level, then you're not going to have it work out yeah. as easily for you when it, when it all goes down. Yeah. I, I think, I think maybe even after we get done recording here, I'd like to just with the phone, take a video of you going through a couple of those different options of the weak side shot and I'll post it up for people. Cause that's one of the questions that gets asked often and I've actually I mean I learned some from just even watching you here today as far as some of the methods with doing that like even where you roll it's hard to do this on an audio version but where you to the weak side shot if you're a right-handed archer to the right sides that and how you were basically putting your right knee into the tree and rolling back to the left which what I was doing was I was actually picking up my bow over the bridge because that's how I shot my coyote was out of the that weak side but I was coming up over that way and that works yeah but there's a lot more movement to that there is a lot if if you see an animal we can do this on video so it's easier to to see but when you have an animal coming on your weak side you know you want to shoot it you need to get over there right away and so you can keep your eye on that animal but drop your right knee in the tree and then roll and where people often get this wrong is you don't keep your knee in the tree you literally are rolling up your thigh to get to where your hip is is dead level on the tree and now you're sitting there and i mean that's why we put the wings on the side of the platforms 
you know, you got one foot in there, your hips on the tree, you're totally braced. You're literally sitting down, but now you have a full 180 degree shooting, you know, area. Yeah. And it's very easy to make that shot happen. Yeah. No, I think that's that, that, yeah, just that educational standpoint though. And that's where I, I think saddle hunting is so, it's so awesome because you can tailor things to yourself so much. Like you can have your own style with it and you can figure things out and you can literally shoot 360 degrees around the tree. And I, I've found myself trying to find trees that actually aren't giant because I can maneuver myself around the tree. Oh, absolutely. If, you know, more so than I can on, you know, uh, a really big tree that's, I guess, in front of me. And I, I've just kind of played with that and kind of figure it out. Or if there's a, you know, and, and make my setups in, in that way, there's, I've, I've found that I'm able to, I like close shots. Like most of the spot I'm hunting, I'm th- it's thick. I'm shooting 12 to 15 yards in some spots and I'll set up to where I always have that tree in front of me. They can't see me, you know, from that way. And I don't even have to go up very high. It's just, it's the, the possibilities are endless, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. And <clears throat> so, I mean, when I got into saddle hunting, yeah, give me a background. Yeah. On so, you. so I didn't ask that. I, 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 live, in the, <laughs> I live in the suburbs of, of Washington, DC. Um, I hunt anywhere from 200 to 250 plus days a year. So, um, just really brief 30,000 foot view kind of overview cliff notes. Uh, my area is very overpopulated with deer where there should be 10 to 12 deer per square mile. They can't even count how many deer there are. Their best guesses are in the 400 to 425 deer per square mile range. (laughs) So like, it looks like you kick the anthill, right? It looks like the border right now. Yeah. Um, probably bad analogy. I'm sorry for that, but yeah, it's just bad, right? There's just deer everywhere. And, um, so we're able to hunt year round there, but it's kind of odd because the average property size is like a quarter acre, half acre. Right. So it's very tight quarters. Um, when I got into hunting, I, I got into hunting. I don't come from a hunting family. I taught myself how to hunt. I started hunting when I was in college in the Virginia, West Virginia border in the mountains there. Yeah. And so started learning how to hunt, fell in love with it. I'd always liked being outdoors, backpacking, hiking, and I loved shooting bows, but I never put two and two together until college. So it shows you how smart I am. It took me like, it took me 37 years. No, <laughs> it took me a long time to figure it out. And um, I got pretty good at hunting in, in the big woods, but then I moved back to an urban area where I'm working with my family and I can't like not live there. So it was kind of a bummer at first because I couldn't find anywhere to hunt. So I was hunting on these military bases that are huge. They're open for, for hunting in the training areas. And I, at the same time, I got really into like reading topography for deer. And so I'd mark a spot on, spot on my map. I'd walk in like a mile or so in the dark. I'd get there and I'd have this big clanky climber on my back. And I'd be looking around at trees and I'd be like, okay, I can't hunt that one. Can't hunt that one. Can't hunt that one. I'd end up walking like 40 or 50 yards from the, the X that I dropped on the map. And then that's where the deer would come through. So eventually I was like, F this. I got to figure out a better way to like get in here and hunt because you couldn't hang stands because it was public land. Yep. Uh, well, kind of public land. It, it is public. We have to jump through some hoops to hunt it. It's not just like walk in. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, I was teaching myself how to hunt more. I was reading a bunch of books. I ended up reading John Eberhardt's book, um, heard about tree saddles, ended up buying one with my beer money for the weekend, decided to not go out that weekend so I could buy a, a saddle off eBay. <laughs> it ended up being a great decision because, you know, like you mentioned, you can hunt any tree from a saddle. And I've literally hunted trees. Like I'm a big dude and I've hunted trees that are so small, like smaller than my thigh 
that I'm at the top and the thing's bending and I'm like, it's like people are going to find me here at the bottom of this tree after it breaks and I die. Yeah. They're going to be like, well, what was he thinking? Of course it broke, right? Yeah. Like I'm hunting a toothpick. Um, but a saddle allows you the opportunity to get into whatever tree you want. And that's a cool thing when you're hunting on a half acre where there might be four trees to hunt from. Yeah. You know, or if you're in the middle of the wilderness and you want to pick that exact tree, it's nice to not have to worry about the tree. Yep. Yeah. And like, you don't have to worry about limbs. Cause like when I, when I use a climber, that's what I used almost exclusively forever. was like, I need a straight tree with no limbs to go up it. And now you need to find I, a telephone pole. Yeah. And now I'm never in a straight tree. I like limbs. I want that cover. I want to, yeah. you know, I can get up there and only 10 feet sometimes and just be in a good spot because that's where I need to be for the the deer movement and it's just it's it's a complete game changer but well, and especially you mentioned that you're hunting in areas that are really thick yeah and you know so often people I think have this association with the higher you hunt like the cooler you are or like it shows some bit of manliness or something dude it does no good to hunt super high Right, you have a steeper shot on the animal. You have a higher probability of getting one lung. And if you're hunting in thickets, bedding areas, like yeah, stuff where you need to be to kill big deer, like the deer you killed last year, it's better to be lower to the ground because you can shoot. You you can find those shooting lanes much easier yep. from ten to fifteen feet than you can at like twenty five thirty feet. Yep. So you know, again, a saddle comes in really handy there because if I was sitting in a like a ladder stand fifteen feet off the ground. You're gonna look at me and laugh if you're a deer, right? You're like, "Hey, dude!" Yeah. Of course, you're sitting there. You look like look like Jab of the Hut hanging yeah. off the tree, right? But in the <laughs> saddle, at least you can kind of use the tree to hide, and and you also the angle that you that you're off on a on a saddle, like when you're standing there, you very much look like a tree branch or something that's like naturally there. If you just look up in the woods, you can see trees leaning, and it's very natural kind of angle to to have sticking off the tree. Yeah. No, that that's it's so true. It, it it looks like when I would first see somebody in a saddle, it just looks uncomfortable. And that's the other question that I get asked all the time: Can you sit in that all day? Can yeah. you do? It is extremely comfortable, and it just you got to get your feel. Yes, and like what like when I watch videos that say the way you set up or the way someone else sets up, mine is even different than that because it's what's comfortable for me with like my tether height. I like a little exactly. bit of a lower tether. And, you know, some people don't like that, but it's just, you get that feel for it and you feel what's comfortable. And the nice thing is you can change it up throughout the day. If you start getting sore, or your hips are doing something here. You can lean against a tree. You could sit down, you could stand up. Yeah. Whatever. I, sometimes I'll even spin around and I'll put the, the tether over my shoulder and I'll put my back against the tree and I'll just hang out like that. And it's a very comforting feeling, even though. You know, you're, you're standing on this tiny little platform, yep. um, like fully standing on it, but you're leaning against a tree and the way that rope holds you there is very, very comfortable. Yeah. Um, a little harder to shoot from that position. Not, not as far as difficulty in shooting, but you're very restricted as to your angle. Yeah. But, um, very comfortable way to stand if you're going to be hunting all day. And yeah. You it's better it than up. climbing down. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and also, I mean, in a saddle, like like you mentioned, you have options. So it's, you can find what's comfortable for you as opposed to just either sitting on the seat or standing up, right? Like in a tree stand. So, um, I find it very, very versatile and it's very easy to find comfort once you're able to dial in exactly what you want. Yeah. 
And and that's I think there's a, a misconception a little bit. And even I thought this way at first is that, you know, saddle hunting is only for mobile hunters and because it is lightweight and stuff. And and you were talking about like how many setups you have that are like permanent spots that you hunt out of it still the same way over hanging a tree stand. There. Yeah, absolutely. And that's another thing that's really cool about saddles are like if you go out and run and gun and you take your sticks in, and you're going to go find a tree and hunt, that setup is exactly the same as if you go into a preset tree that you've hunted a thousand times. You know, because that preset tree, you're climbing up, you hang your platform, or you could even leave a platform in the tree, but the most economical way to do it would be to climb up, leave some climbing system on the tree. So I really like to use climbing bolts yeah. um, where I'm able to drill into a tree. But leave those in the tree, hang the platform, step on it, clip in. That's no different than if you walked in with sticks or spurs or whatever yep. you're using. You climb it up, and then you hang your platform and step onto it. So it's nice to kind of have that repetition over and over and over again where nothing changes. Yeah. it And that's what I actually did that last year a little bit where I, um, I, I had taken like those big heavy steel sticks that you get out you know, sportsman's guide for like 30 bucks. You get yep. the thing. And I've set those in trees where I could, cause I knew I was going to hunt that spot just to make it quicker. And I just leave the sticks in there and I'd take my platform in later and then throw that on the tree. And it was like, it was, and cause then you have everything, you know, what height you're at, everything's set up. Yeah. You can, you can prune stuff out. You can yep. create your shooting lanes. I find that really, really, really helpful in bedding areas. Because I'm silent, I can go very slowly and methodically and just get in quietly. I'm not taking the potential for banging stuff around, whatever it may be. Like, it's nice to have preset trees. Yeah. But it's also nice to be able to run and gun and have the only thing different be taking sticks with me or not. Yeah. Yeah, you have the option to be able to do exactly. that. And once you get efficient with it, it's so quick. And once, like, I, I think that's one of the other cool parts is, like, you dial in how you have your saddle set up, how you're carrying everything in your pack and doing all that. And once you get efficient with it and practice with it and make it to a second nature, you can do it in the dark with no lights on. You can, whatever that might be, and, and it's, it's quick. It's silent if you, again, practice it and be able to do it. It's it's better than the clunky climbers going up a tree where I'm going up a cherry tree and the bark's, you know, shearing off as yeah. you're going. So it's like, all right, everything heard me, but yeah, exactly. I'm in. I'll sit here still. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I have to. I'm sweating, so yeah, I'm going to have exactly. to sit here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's really nice to, to be able to kind of like dial in your system and, um, you know, I would encourage anybody out there that's hunting from a saddle to uh, go through their their system in the backyard, figure out what's comfortable, figure out where they want to put stuff, and then if something makes a noise, be like, okay, well, why'd that make a noise? How is that going to happen again? If so, how do I prevent that from happening, or yep. is it a big deal, whatever? And eventually, you'll end up with a system that is like bulletproof, can't fail, roll-tied simple, and incredibly safe. Yeah. That, yeah, that's yeah the the safety aspect, and I've talked about that um, on the podcast. Uh, you know, a bunch as far as my my what I do for a living. I'm an environmental health and safety manager, so like I I'm used to, like a lot of my life is around doing things safely as far as it work and goes, and I just feel super comfortable that there's not one point when I'm climbing a tree or in the tree where I'm disconnected. Yeah. Cause you always have uh, a way of doing that. And 
that makes you feel good. And tree stand accidents aren't something that or to take lightly. And, and the safety aspect is, is incredible because you're all, you're always tied off. Yeah. And, and you'll never be at a point with the saddle where you forget your harness, right? Cause yeah. so many of those safety accidents you hear of where the guy's like halfway back to his tree stand on opening day, a rifle. And he's like, Oh shit, I forgot my harness. It'll, I'll just be really careful. And like, that's the day you fall. Yeah. Right. And, you know, if you forget your harness, you can't get hurt because you're not getting elevated. So, yeah. you know, it, it's um, it's nice. And also, I mean, the stuff that we're using has like tens of thousands of pounds of working load capacity, right? I mean, people are using this stuff to climb mountains with. It, it's not lightly rated gear. Yeah, which is crazy because of how thin things look. I'm like, really? Like, you trust, you know, this? It's like I told my wife, size doesn't matter, you know? <laughs> This is going to be the most disappointing 12 seconds of your life. This is guaranteed. <laughs> this is guaranteed to work. Yes. You will. It you will fire will every this. time. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I was telling a guy earlier, I drove by a dude earlier this year in a snowstorm that had got his truck stuck in a ditch. And the only thing I had in the back of my truck was our 11 millimeter harness. And I pulled him out of a ditch with the 11 millimeter rope. Really? Tied to his bumper, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Think about that. Dual uh, purpose. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not hunting from that anymore. Like, yeah. I think, I'm, you know, I could. Yeah. But, I mean, it's pretty cool to yeah. think that it didn't snap. That is. And so I, I didn't realize that what your background was. I mean, I knew your YouTube channel and everything else you have is awesome. I love watching your some of the films you put out and the videos of hunting, you know, in the urban areas. I didn't know that you had started kind of a background with the, the big wood stuff there too. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I cut my teeth out on like public land in the George Washington National Forest. Huh. Um, it was actually funny because when I came back to, to my area to work for my family business, I was really bummed because I was like, hunting's over. You know, I'm going to have to drive out to the National Forest and hunt all over again. And, yeah. you know, it's like two hours away. Like, And I, I just had such a deep love for hunting that I found out about in college, right? And um, I kept driving in D.C. traffic through all these neighborhoods to get to this military base and like not see deer or, you know, there are a lot of hoops you had to jump through to hunt this base. You have to go check in. You have to, uh, you know, I'm not active duty military, so I have to like renew my uh, credentials that get me on the base every like 45 days. It's a whole bunch of stuff. And I go through all these hoops. And I wouldn't see any deer or like, maybe you see one or two, like, maybe you shoot a doe, you drag her out four miles or whatever. And then I drive back through these neighborhoods. I see all these deer. So I eventually uh, put two and two together and got my grandmother to ask the ladies in her bridge club if I could hunt on their property. And <laughs> I got access to a couple of these really nice old ladies' properties only because my grandmother like begged them. And the first time out, I shot four deer. <laughs> and I was like, this is awesome. Because they're deer everywhere. Yeah. You know? and, and we need to, to be reducing them because, you know, what's happened is um, from an environmental standpoint, we've taken away like mediocre habitat and replaced it with beautiful, lush, landscaped homes, a lot of them. And so these deer are now thriving off all these landscape ornamental shrubs and stuff that we plant to make ourselves feel good and grass. And, yep. um, you know, they're thriving. And at the same time, we're taking away any predators. 
So any people that did hunt there before aren't hunting because it feels weird to be hunting in backyards or whatever. So, you know, you need to have people like me going out there and, and whacking all the deer that they can. And we have a great system in Virginia. I think you guys have something somewhere here in PA where uh, it's called Hunters for the Hungry. So I can take a deer that I've shot to a butcher and they will process the meat for free. They get paid by the state. Yep. Or actually by the, the entity Hunters for the Hungry, which is a nonprofit. But uh, they take all that meat and they give it to food banks and food shelters. So the, the less fortunate and homeless get fed with an overabundant resource that we already have. So it's like a perfect win-win. It's a great PR talking point to talk to these landowners about that have never met a hunter before. Yeah. They don't care about hunting. And they're like, hey, look, all I know is I planted $30,000 worth of bushes and the deer just ate all of them. So I want you to kill them all. You know? And you're like, yes, ma'am. I'm I'm on it. I can do that. (laughs) One at a time, baby. Yeah. That's that's incredible. And yeah, we we do have a similar program in Pennsylvania. And and I know that seems to be a problem around a lot of the major cities. I know when I lived down by Pittsburgh, there were so many deer in in the suburbs and even in the city, too. It was just like, it was incredible. It's amazing how resilient a whitetail is. And, and how they're able to figure out and thrive in these urban areas where they live in these tiny little pockets. And, yeah. You know, they, they are able to reproduce at a very high rate. And, um, you know, as urban sprawl continues to go outward from all these cities, I think you're just going to continue to see more and more need for, for urban hunting. So it's, a, it's really a great, like, thing to have. Uh, and it's fun because... You know, like we were talking to a guy earlier today where so many people overlook urban spots because it's kind of, there's a barrier of entry there. Yeah, there is. But once you get into it, it is so cool. I mean, I find myself now in these big woods areas, which are obviously awesome. They're great. I love hunting in big, you know, farm areas, whatever, big woods country. But sometimes I miss being in the burbs because there's never a dull moment, right? It's so funny to me to watch you know, a hundred yards away, little Timmy and Tommy riding their bikes up and down the street, but here come the does and they know that those kids aren't danger to them. And, you know, then you just kind of have to decide whether or not you want to take a shot or whatever. Yeah. It's really cool to watch them kind of operating in their little bubble. Yeah, no, that, that is super cool. And like it from, from your standpoint, Talk about getting practice on real life targets. Like, <laughs> you got pretty used to shooting. Oh, how, yeah. how many deer do you think you shoot in a year? Um, so I I make a point to not count because yeah. I feel like that's kind of um, making like a, a disservice to the yeah. animal, right? Because whether I shoot ten or a hundred and ten deer a year, um, you know that animal only had like one life to give up, right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's kind of uh, like it's just wrong to just start adding like notches to your crotch as far as a kill count kind of thing. Um, but I mean, out of 200 plus hunts a year, um, you know, I'm, I have a very high success rate and, um, you know, there, there are many, many hunts where I have multiple harvests. So I actually stopped shooting at four deer because I found that after four, the blood trails really tend to kind of circle back on themselves. And it's very hard in the dark to, <laughs> to you end up like Hansel and Gretel. You're like following the same trail. Um, what happens when they die in someone's yard? Oh, it's brutal. That it's, would be the, that would be the hardest part for me to be like, Oh shit. Yeah. And, and what's really difficult is <laughs> you have to be careful 
who you talk to in the neighborhood, right? So you could have the perfect property with the perfect owner. They are pro hunting. They want you out there shooting as many deer as possible. But if their neighbor gives them relentless shit about you hunting in their yard, they're not going to stand up for you. Yeah. Like they're like, dude, I have to live next to this crazy lady. Like, you know, Karen over here is going crazy. I got us. You got to leave. Right. So you have to be careful on, on whose doors you knock on to ask for track and retrieve permission. But when you're hunting on a half acre lot, quarter acre lot, like the deer is not dying on that lot. Yeah. So you, you need to have some permissions around or I make a point to, we were talking about your deck system earlier. Yeah. I have a portion of my deck system, which is just street clothes. So I have like a collared golf shirt and some shorts in there. And I find that that's like the perfect clothing to roll up to somebody's house with and ask permission to recover a deer in. Cause you don't look like a salesman. Yeah. But you also don't look like a scumbag and you're also not like triggering them right away. You're not giving them emotions, like exactly. preconceived notions of what they think of hunting. Yeah. And then you're just like, yeah, if you roll up in camo and you knock on their door at dinner time, like you're, you're down the wrong path. Yeah. Whereas if you knock on the door and you're in, you know, r- relatively respectable clothing. Yeah. And I always tell people right away, I said, Hey, I'm Taylor. You know, I'm helping so-and-so euthanize some deer and, you know, we had one expire on your property or cause if the sooner that you give them a connection to them, the more at ease they are. Cause people are defensive when you're on their doorstep. Yeah. It's like, what's this guy want? Right. And, yeah. and I also found <clears throat> one like little trick that I picked up was, um, I like to back away from the door and I always get on a lower level. Right. Because not intimidating. Yeah. And I'm, I'm six, three dude. Like yeah. I, it, the last thing that I would want, if I was a five foot eight lady answering the door is like this big burly six, three guy, you know, panting from walking 40 yards up her walkway, <laughs> asking for permission to recover the deer there. So, yeah, I mean, you really have to be kind of polite and on your toes, but I've turned a lot of those recoveries into other hunting permission. Um, and not turned them into me being on the news. So that's always good. Yeah, that's, that's always good. <laughs> I did have one lady that was an adamant, adamant anti-hunter. Uh, we were hunting in a, a, a homeowner association, myself and my, my buddy Billy that I do a lot of stuff with. And she was the only opposition to us hunting on this HOA land and was adamantly opposed to it. She was a big name attorney in, in D.C. And I shot a doe first doe that we shot on this HOA and that doe ran straight uphill and I heard crashing and a splash and I was like oh no and I texted Billy the emoji where it's just like you know like the teeth gritting like this is bad and he his response was like yeah dude this is effed like I heard that too and I got down and that doe jumped the fence and died in the only opposition lady's pool Oh. And it was it was October, and she had just had it winterized, and it broke through the green like cover that you put over a pool, and was bleeding out in the pool, and that was bad. I just sat there getting yelled at by that lady for like you know an hour and a half until the pool guy showed up, and then the pool guy raked me over the coals because he knew what was going on. That was like a twenty five hundred dollar morning. That was my, really oh dude, my wife was so pissed. Because we didn't get to eat the deer. Yeah. Because it's contaminated. It's in the, in the pool, you know, there's blood everywhere. It broke the fence. I'm like, what are you going to do, right? You're yeah. Like, 
the deer ran straight uphill. And I'm not talking about like a gentle rolling hill, but like, like yeah. straight uphill. And I've just seen deer do weird stuff when they're hard shot because they're just, you know, fight or flight. Yeah. That's <laughs> what are the odds of that? Dude? One in a billion. I should have bought a lottery ticket that night because <laughs> yeah, it was, maybe it would have balanced out. But yeah, it uh, you know, it happens. I would l- really like to live the rest of my life and never have that happen. Never have that happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I could imagine. Adam died in some weird spots, but that was the worst. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how did you how did you get kind of connected with tethered and what they have going on here yeah so um being that i i hunt as much as i do look at that tick crawling on my leg yeah um you know being that i hunt as much as i do the so saddles were always kind of like taboo Mm -hmm. there like there was a uh thread on archery talk that talked about saddle hunting and it exploded there were like 200 pages 300 pages on this thing and from that a entire forum, saddlehunter.com was born. And on saddlehunter.com, I used to go on there and, you know, we would communicate and that's how I was learning about saddles when I was teaching myself about it, whatever. Yeah. Um, got hooked up with Greg and Ernie like years ago and Carl and some of these other guys that, that are now part of tethered. And so when Greg was starting tethered with Ernie, uh, he sent me one of the prototypes and we kind of, tinkered around with it and um you know i had some feedback and then you know i've been with tethered ever since so it's been fun to be kind of a part of it since inception yeah really kind of watch it grow and it's fun to watch people like have that light bulb moment where they get to use a saddle and feel that comfort that we're talking about they get to experience the versatility and and it changes the way they hunt yeah no that's i i'd wondered how um, cause I know like on the website, your listings with founding father yeah. was, or whatever. And, uh, and just kind of how it's, it's been cool, like getting to meet those guys and getting to know them more. Um, I don't, I don't think I've met Ernie yet actually, but I've met Carl was here today and, and Greg a bunch of times and just like listening to all you guys and like your passion for just wanting to build better stuff and just create. Well, and that's and how tethered started. It, it was not a, it was not a business of like, Hey, let's go make money. It was, you know, how can we make the best saddle hunting stuff possible? And what is that? And how do we do it? And, and the cost was, was like a secondary or tertiary thing to that. It was like, we just want to make the best shit possible. And what do we want? Yeah. And that's, that's how it started. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. Uh, as far as, this tick likes me. Yeah, he's back again. My wife would would tell you that ticks don't like me because I'm so bitter, but <laughs> proved her wrong. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> but yeah, it, and you know, um, I think that we've done that. I mean, the saddle stuff is cool, and and the stuff that we're continuing to come out with. I mean, we're trying to push the bar and continue making everything that we would want in the saddle market. Yeah, and yeah, it just keeps expanding, and like this, the amount of tools and and clips and today it, was the first day you got to feel the one sticks yeah portion, it right? was it was and it, i was just like this is so cool just like the just the innovation and the thought that goes into like the little things and that's where i think you know when you're into like the high quality market of gear that's what makes the difference are the little things you know and and yeah just getting to play with that and then even some of the other n- new stuff like i i think it was it last, last year was the first time i used a ropeman and getting to to use how 
simple that made it. I'm like, all you know, thinking of anything that's been uh, a problem point or something in the woods, I feel like that's where you guys are just attacking it full on and then at a speed that's really pretty incredible. To. Yeah, I mean, the if if there's something in the woods that we think will be an improvement, we're trying to to make that happen and and just continue pushing the bar and making things better. And um, and I don't know if this is like part of the plan or anything, but this is from what I see from the outside with tethered is like, there's, I feel like a lot of companies, they try to, when they're coming out with new products, they strategically launch them. So they're not taking, putting too much out at one time or anything. And tethered is complete opposite where it's just like, all right, if we can come up with five things that are game break, you know, game changers right now, yeah. then you, you release them. You know, it's not just, you know, uh, a marketing ploy. It's it's just yeah. trying to put the best tools in the hands of people and and to go a step further, not just the gear standpoint, but the educational part of saddle hunting. I mean, it's straight in in the um, I'm trying how do I want to put it? Like in the the words of the company or the mission statement, essentially is like teaching people yeah. about saddle hunting and and you know what? No matter what brand that you're using or anything, is just like it's trying to get more people involved in it. We don't care about what brand people are using. We feel confident that, you know, we stand behind our products and, yeah. you know, there are plenty of, of other uh, high quality companies out there and, you know, they're doing great stuff as well. But what we want to do is we want to teach people about saddle hunting and we want to make anybody that wants to be, you know, a better hunter, a lighter hunter, a more efficient hunter, like we want to help make you that. Yeah. And if there's something on the part on the market that maybe I wouldn't use, but it makes somebody a better hunter, like we want to provide that for them. Yep. Yeah. It um and, and that's what it's funny because like in any sort of forums or Facebook groups and stuff, people are Re relentless like when they like a company or they don't like a company yeah, brand loyalty oh my, is strong is in ridiculous. saddle hunting. it's 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 rivaled only by uh camo brand yeah <laughs> yeah it's 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 stupid how crazy it is but it's funny because like it seems like at least most of the manufacturers aren't that way like they're not like you guys get along with other people that yeah, are in we know them all. yeah you know it's, them a, all. it's a small community yeah it's you a, know? and and but the, the, the customers are the ones that are like yeah, you know. I think some people get very, very passionately attached to whatever brand they decide to, to yeah. spend some money with. And I, I understand that, um, that mindset, you know, but like, I mean, we're not here bashing any other companies. Like we no. just want to make the best stuff possible. And if there's a way that we can improve our stuff, like we're all ears. And, yeah. and if there's a way that we can help people out there do anything better, we want to do that. So yeah, that's what we're here for. And we, we engage with everybody that, that wants help or anything. I mean, we're very easily accessible online yeah. and, and we're here to help, you know? Yeah. And, and one, th one thing that, that I, I haven't, I didn't talk to you about this outside the podcast, so I'm just going to kind of put you on the spot here, but next year I'm looking at doing like, um, a weekend long, um, kind of like a scouting workshop for mountain bucks. And I want to like of all inclusive, like people can come and learn from a bunch of different people. And I, th I think it would be cool to have almost like a mini setup of what we have here there. So people get to play with it, play with the gear, do all that Absolutely. stuff. And I think that would be a, a really cool aspect to get some people involved with it. So I, I will, I will commit right now. Carl will be there. 
<laughs> Sorry, Carl. Yeah. But, yeah. Oh. I, yeah, I, like that sounds awesome. Let's definitely yeah. plan on doing I, I just love this atmosphere of like getting to be with people. That's why I love the Total Archery Challenges. That's why I love all those events where you get to be with people and be able to teach and learn. And, and I, I think that would be incredible. Well, and what's cool about these events, whether it be the Total Archery Challenge where there's so many people or an event like this where... You know, we had probably like 75 people here today, I yeah. think, plus or minus. People that are here are so passionate about hunting, right? I mean, they're here because they want to learn about saddles. They want to or help spread knowledge about saddles, right? There's a complete different makeup of people from experts to just a newbie who saw it on Facebook and said, hey, that looks cool, and everything in between. And it's a great way to communicate with like-minded people and tell stories and, you know, share trail camera pictures. And, yeah. you know, it, it's hunters, like, you're very rarely in that kind of an environment outside of, like, deer camps or, you know, small get-togethers. So it's nice to come and participate with that. Yeah, that, that that's so true. And it's in, in online, social media is awesome that you can connect with people easily, but it doesn't replace in person. Correct. Yeah. And, and uh, people are way more, way kinder in person yeah. than they are on social. So yeah. the, uh, the keyboard warriors tend to stay home at these events and you just get some really good, good like-minded people and you get to hang out and you get to learn new stuff, you know, like um, you can communicate with guys that have been doing it for a long time or maybe new people. And it's nice to have a different mindset yep. and a different set of eyes and, and you know, put that to use and talk about stuff. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I'm looking forward to the, the upcoming events and us having some beers at Total Archery Challenge. There might be a couple consumed. A couple, yeah. <laughs> we, you know what we need to do is we need some cornhole boards at Total Archery Challenge. I, I don't, yeah, you guys weren't there a couple years ago. Um, but I, I usually have a booth there, and it's a good time to pass, you know, Past the day in the middle, everybody's out shooting, you know, get to do a little bit I like of that. It. I bring my Traeger. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Have the full Some fresh venison. I You'll have a lot more that. friends at that point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, uh, I had some buddies of mine that realized that I have a freezer full of just tenderloin, and they were like, they're like, dude, you have like hundreds of tenderloins in there. I'm like, well, yeah, that's what I keep from the deer. Yeah. You know? uh, I'm going to donate the rest of them, but I keep the loins because the, the way the Hunters for the Hungry works in my area, they just grind them all up oh, and they just yeah. all ground. And so the butcher told me years ago, he was like, it is a sin to grind tenderloin. He's like, I'll just give you the loins. I was like, deal. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bring the guy, you know, hundreds of deer a year. And, um, so I have a freezer full of, full of tenderloin. So I can, oh. I'll bring some tenderloin for you. It does feel like a sin when you start cooking something like, you know, venison ragu and you're using tenderloin for the ragu. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. My wife is spoiled. She has no idea how good she has it. We're yeah. Eating tenderloin all the time. That's hilarious. Yeah. I'm, I think I might have to stop at your house sometime now. Come on by. <laughs> yeah. Door is always open. Uh, I'll show you where the tenderloin is. You can just help yourself. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> but yeah, we'll definitely, uh, definitely crack some beers back at the, at the tack and hopefully anybody listening can come by and yeah, and definitely. We'll play some, uh, play some cornhole for saddles. <laughs> Ooh, there you go. You heard it here. Yeah. yeah he's- cornhole championship. Winner gets a saddle. <laughs> That's awesome. That'd be awesome. That Let's would do be it. cool. All right. Well, hey, thanks for coming on, Taylor. I, I told you I was just going to stop in for an hour or two on the way home. and Stole and, you for the whole day. Yeah, I've been so up here the whole day. You need to hit day. the road, man. But thank yeah. you very much for having me on. It was yeah. a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. And where can people find uh, 
Tethered as well as your stuff that you got out yeah, there. Yeah, so Tethered is online, uh, YouTube, Instagram, and then on tetherednation.com. Uh, we're both you know Tethered and Tethered Nation on uh, YouTube. And Tethered is spelled T-E-T-H-R-D. Yes, that was the greatest thing. Hey, let's start a company and spell it funny. Everybody's like, yeah, it's a great idea. And now I think I spell that like 10 times a day for people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then uh, my personal stuff is Urban Bowman on Instagram. And then you can find me on YouTube as Hunt Urban. Um, we have a podcast also called the Hang and Hunt Podcast where we hang out and talk about hunting. So Love it. Clever name. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of thought. Yeah. 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 There were no beers involved in the titling <laughs> of that podcast. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Well, we'll talk to you here shortly. All right. Thanks for having me on, bud. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.